I specialize in professional services, which is companies who say things like, oh, Julia, we don't actually, we don't actually sell anything in our company because we're a law firm. We don't actually do sales because we're an engineering consultancy. And so I always ask, uh, do you have capacity for more business right now? Oh, absolutely we do. Okay, well, uh, how's that working out for you then, not beating sales? Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to the Selling with Love podcast. And today we're going to go a little tactical and we're going to discuss a part of the sales process that especially when you just get started might not even be something you consider. But a lot of the frustrations, the pain and the constant refusal of closing a sale might have to do with how well you're doing your sales qualifications. The guest that I have today is Julia Ewart, who's actually a sales and negotiation expert. She's known as the negotiator, and she has been at some of the world's best practice, enabling mediation between multi-million dollar companies. She's worked in sales and leaderships at FMCG, telecommunications, property, e-commerce, all the different industries, and has worked with companies and publications with the Herald Sun, Courier Mail, Daily Business Media, Business Media Woman, and more. She's here to share with us her vast experience when it comes to training and sales and both negotiation, and we're going to go down deeper around this whole idea of qualification. What does it do? Should we be doing it at various stages of sales? And what is it going to do for us when we actually do it? Julia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jason. I hope I can deliver on that. <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. We're working together to make sure it's delivered. I'm going to throw you a curveball because I have this very iconic set of things in the kitchen at my parents' house. And uh, I remember there was a sales rep that came in and they sold these knives. They were called Cutco. And I feel like you have a history with Cutco or an equivalent company. Is that correct? How would you, where have I written that? I don't think I've written that anywhere. Oh, I do my hunting. But yes, selling knives. At 18, I know selling knives and I wanted to just have fun there. Like what happened when you started selling knives at a young age? Did you already have resistance towards sales? Were you excited about sales? What was that progress? Oh man, I was a uni student studying Japanese and my dad <laughs> said, hey, you should get a job. And I was like, I have a job. He's like, you should get another job. So we saw an ad in the paper and I went for an interview. Knives did not know what it was. I was 18. What do you know about anything at 18? So yes, I ended up working with that company. Interestingly, Jason, cracking great product, not a great company. But that was my baptism of fire because that is hardcore direct sales. That is everything that makes people nervous about sales and anxious about sales. Great product. I also have cutco knives in my kitchen because the product's amazing. It is an amazing product and I've heard the similar stories as well. But I would love to know from that experience, like some people would maybe go, wow, this was a terrible experience, terrible culture. I want to run away from sales and never do it again. Yet you became a sales trainer, negotiation expert, and it became something that really made you level up and have a passion into making sales happen differently. So how was that transition? Yeah, I had put some thought around the conversation for us today, Jason, and having listened to many of your episodes already, one thing I do want to make a distinction on is that you serve very well a community of small business owners, lots of solo operators. And most people get into business uh, for one or two reasons, um, either by circumstance or they have a passion or a hobby or an interest, right? 
and they become the, the that's the technician doing the thing, doing the lawyering, doing the engineering, doing the hairdressing, doing the accounting, whatever it is, right? But that's not enough. What I've found, and I will come back to answer the question for you, but I have had a long career in sales and sales leadership. I've worked with some of the biggest companies in the world and I've got some great experience and I've been able to leverage in many different ways. However, now running my own consultancy, what I find is that a lot of people are in business or in one or two camps. One is, yes, people like me and like you and many of your other guests that you've had, hardcore sales, you know, sales is running through your veins, you know. The other half are people, and they sign up to sales, they know it, they love it. It's, you know, what gets them out of bed in the morning. The other half know it's necessary but don't like it. And that is the people that I actually serve. That is 95% of my clients when I work with medium to top tier companies. I specialize in professional services, which is companies who say things like, oh, Julia, we don't actually, we don't actually sell anything in our company because we're a law firm. Julia, look, I know that you are a sales strategist and a negotiator, but you know, we didn't actually do sales because we're an engineering consultancy. Good. Great. As we always ask, uh, do you have capacity for more business right now? Oh, absolutely we do. Okay. Well, uh, how's that working out for you then not being in sales? So, but what I find is though, and I say that, you know, in jest, but it's very misunderstood. So when you ask, how did this long career go for me? I started in sales, but I didn't understand it. What I was doing back then as an 18-year-old, I'm 43 now, but what I was doing back then, Jason, were not sales techniques. They were all the things that turn people off in sales. Now I get it. You know, I'm older and wiser and I have all the wisdom now, right? So, But this is the big difference. And I believe a lot of your listeners are going to be in business and probably in the camp of Gee, sales is necessary, but I hate it. I can't do it. I can't pick up the phone. Prospecting's not for me. Qualifying, what does that even mean? Because they're in business because they have a passion or a talent or a hobby or an interest. But the economics of the world will tell you, tell us over and over again, that's not enough. So for me talking about my history in sales, my fear is that I'll turn your listeners off because a lot of your listeners are probably thinking, that's not me. I haven't been in sales for 25 years. I just happen to run a business that I just love doing what I'm doing. And I just know that sales is a necessary evil. I hate it. I just want to know the shortcut. Yeah. You're hitting the nail on the head. And this is exactly the typical ethos from most of the people that are listening. And if you're listening to this and it's hitting home, you probably have a smile on your face because right now, Julia has a really good understanding of what you're going through. And I think I've picked up this passion. It's funny because I have this, you know, knack for sales. I love sales. I want to enable people to be able to sell with love. But I look at even my father actually as an entrepreneur, swimming pool business, and he always had sales reluctance. He's like, we don't do sales. It's all word of mouth. I'm like, yeah, how do you think that happens? It's, you know, things need to sell. And so when you even mentioned how we talked about sales qualifying as the highlight for this episode, most people don't even know what that means. And so in your terms, if someone's coming into an understanding that, well, if you're listening to this show, you know sales isn't evil. It's a place that comes from love. And you're listening to these amazing experts like Julia who are showing us the way. I wanted to make sure we got deeper into this whole idea of sales qualification, understanding that we're all in sales. What exactly is that being defined as within your terms? So a part of, um, you know, when I started out in my own company, Jason, just to give some more context, 
I was doing something very different from what I was doing now. Still in sales, but doing something differently. And you know what? You take what you get, you do it for a dollar. Do it for free. Just do the things. Get the runs on the board. Get some revenue in. Now, it's very different. I choose who I want to work with. I can reject people who haven't politely and respectfully that aren't the right fit for me. I've done that recently with someone. It's just not the right person that I want to work with, actually. But it never used to be like that. So in the beginning, if you have listeners who are on the earlier end of the, I guess, the business cycle, maybe you are taking what you can get and doing it for a dollar. Maybe you're just talking to everybody and meeting everybody and servicing everybody. But ideally what we want to do is we want to do satisfying work. So if you've got people who are listening that might be, for example, a lawyer who thinks like, I work for a firm, I can go on my own and I'll start my own firm. Great. Go start your own firm. Happy. I think this is a great decision. They might be thinking, well, the clients that I'm just doing business for now aren't really what I want to be doing. I want to be doing servicing the clients like where I was working in my nice cushy corporate job where I had my nice fat salary. But that's because that company is a lot of qualifying. They've also probably set millions of dollars in marketing to attract better clients. So ultimately, what helps businesses go around is revenue, right? To get revenue to before it even comes to the door, there's a whole lot of work that has to happen that's in two disciplines. It's marketing and sales. And, you know, I've heard some of your other podcast guests comment on this before. Having the world's best marketing isn't enough. Having just great sales is not enough. You need a combination of two things here. You need marketing and sales to work together. Marketing's job is to bring them to the door. Job of sales is to kick it across the line, make the money. So... In terms of qualifying, this just simply means if you think about the person who is the ideal type of client you truly want to serve and you have the skills to do that and they're the projects that are exciting for you, they're motivating and they're not someone that you go, oh, God, another person like this. And again, sometimes you just take what you can get. But we want to shift ultimately to you only being in business and being able to serve the ones where you know these are the projects that bring out the best in me. These are the types of clients that really eat up what I do. That's who we really want to serve. And so in order to do that, there is some qualification that takes part in the beginning before you even have a conversation. Also, a part of difference of how I operate as well is that, Jason, I teach sales process. I actually don't teach training. There is a very, very big difference. Training is necessary but training doesn't solve all the problems. So training, I give the analogy, is a bit like a, putting a Band-Aid on a severed limb. It won't stop the bleeding. It's good for a short while, but it won't stop it. Process fixes the bleeding once and for all, plugs all the holes. So I teach a process that starts when the lead exists. So when you have someone to talk to, it starts, and then my process finishes when the lead converts and you've seen the money. Before the lead exists, that's marketing function. So my job starts when marketing has been done. So qualifying basically means how the, the difference between serving everybody and serving the right kinds of people. An example would be here. Every business needs sales, right? Well, let's assume some businesses don't, but every business needs sales. An unqualified lead for me would be someone who runs a business. Anyone in Australia, they would have an Australian business registry number. Anyone in Australia who has an ABN would be a lead, but that's an unqualified lead because that could be someone who just has a registered their number so they can get a cheap discount at the local hardware store. This could be someone who has a business number because they are a bookkeeper. 
So these are people, yes, who could probably need help with sales, but they're not who I truly want to serve. So this is the difference between qualifying and not qualifying. So the way we can find that out is, so let's assume that someone has people to talk to or leads are coming in. And again, I'm not answering the question on leads because that is a marketing function, not a sales function. Not the same, very, very different. But in order to find out who we truly want to serve, if they're the right people, we need to ask some questions of them before we get in front of them. And so when we want to go out there, and you know, I see this especially in the beginning stages, and you've probably witnessed this as well, you know, if we make a callback to the Cutco, where people maybe starting as coaches and consultants are going within their immediate networks, immediate friends, if they're doing a B2C solution. And because they haven't done any qualification and they're kind of reaching out to anyone desperate to get at least one person that maybe says yes, it seems like it alienates a lot of your immediate network in the process, which is a consequence of just going out and shouting at the top of your lungs to everybody about what you do and what you want to sell. And you speak about having these powerful questions to ask. So what would be some of the things that we should be keeping in mind that allows us to filter this more efficiently because you could think demographic is it business size is it all the above is it more yeah so to your point you know i see loads of people especially in the current market conditions that are exiting corporate and starting their own business coaching consultancies and so business coaches a difference here between an unqualified and a qualified opportunity an unqualified one would be and you know everyone needs a coach i have a coach i'm sure you have coached jason everyone in business needs a coach Every employee needs a coach. We Everyone should have a coach. Coaches are great. But if you're a coaching consultant that's just started your business, an unqualified lead would literally be a person with a pulse. A qualified lead would be someone, maybe that is of middle-level management, someone maybe managing a team, maybe someone who is having a particular challenge that you know you can solve for. But yes, we, we want to ask some questions of these people before we offer up our services, whether we're doing it for a dollar or whether we're doing it for market rate or above. And I talk about a scale that I use, and I'll draw it in the air for you. Jason, you know, the listeners won't be able to hear this, but it mentioned a scale with an X and a Y axis. And we've got what I call is the motivation and capability scale. We're trying to ideally get in front of people who are motivated to work with us and capable. So we weigh every prospect up. A prospect is someone that hasn't, they're not a client yet. People become clients when we see the money. Everything up until that point, they are a prospect. So we weigh up everyone that's a prospect on this scale of motivation and capability. How motivated are they to actually work with us? Are they making the right noises? Are they saying the right things? Are they asking the right questions? And, you know, it's easy for us to have what we call happy ears oh, this person definitely is going to work with me. Yep, they said all the right things. Yep, they totally gave me every indication they wanted to work with me. But that's not enough. They need to be capable. Capable means on the most fundamental level, one thing that's capable is can they afford your services? Another thing that's capable is timing. They want it now and you might not have the capacity now. They want something that is coaching once a month. You might know that that's not enough. You only do coaching once a week, so they're not capable. The product is not a right fit. Capable is also around approvals. Do they have the right approval to see this through? Not, that sounds great, Julia. I love what you do. Can you send me something and I will just go and send that to my board to approve? They're not capable. So we get in front of people who are motivated to buy from us and are capable. So they want to and they actually can. 
I feel like one of the struggles I notice a lot of the people I work with is they are finding a lot of the motivated people without the financial capabilities to afford their service. And they themselves have their own internal struggles and blocks around money. And so when they see someone that has a similar block, they feel bad, they want to still help. And they spend a lot of their time attracting more of these leads that can't afford at the price point that they want to sell. Is that a symptom from, I guess that would be on the marketing side, or is it because we keep attracting things around needing to look differently, think differently? Maybe it's our own blocks that's coming up. What have you noticed? I think it's a timing thing in my experience. I've been doing this for a long time and I genuinely believe it's a timing thing. If I look at any business I service now and work with Jason, even some really big brands, you know, when you work with people for a long time, you find out how they started and how the business came about, the great stories. And most people say they started the business by family, which is maybe circumstance, or they had an idea, passion or a talent. But they never started off charging millions of dollars for contracts. I truly believe it's a timing thing. And when I started, as I said, I do it for a dollar, do it for nothing. Felt sorry for people, wanted to help, desperate to get the job. I do think a lot of it's timing. You speak a lot about doing it for a dollar, and I feel like that's a strategy that you're advocating for. When I hear you know, two sides, people are like, you shouldn't devalue yourself. You should make sure that you're perceived at a high price. But here you're encouraging people to do it for a dollar. What's the wisdom behind there? No, I want to clarify. I'm not encouraging people to do it for a dollar. I guess the analogy I'm using here is you do anything to get the business when you start out. You take below market rate. Someone says, oh, look, Jason, I can't pay you this much, but I'll pay you this much. You go, yep, I'll do it. So this is probably just more a tongue-in-cheek comment of, no, I don't think you should do it for a dollar, and I don't think you should work for free. However, again, timing, sometimes it's circumstance. These are some of the things that I see many businesses go through, including when I started, just to get the runs on the board. You discount your services, you do it for free, do it for whatever it takes just to get the runs in. Because at some point when we start out, we all have this person that comes along and we go, oh God, I'd love to work with this person. Oh my gosh, this would be an awesome opportunity for my business. And we're at the crossroads of, right, do we just discount and drop our pants and expose ourselves and just take what we can get? Or do we hold our market value and risk difficult conversations and hope we can get it? So yes, to clarify, I'm not suggesting that people should do it, but I do want to clarify that when you start out, sometimes you've just got to take what you can get because many people have to put food on the table. Hmm. Yeah. And put experience under the belt too. I see a lot of times it's like, oh, nobody wants to work with me because I don't have experience and I can't get experience because nobody wants to work with me. And so at least bringing down that barrier, getting those runs in, as you say, making sure that you can build that competence, build that confidence, and then actually get those case studies so you can move forward with a lot better, closer to market rate type of offer. But I wanted to touch back on this whole qualification process, because as you mentioned, like you'll take anything when you're getting started, but yet going for everything kind of leaves you with an empty hand. And so what are some of the differences that happen when you are now doing qualifications? You are asking for people to be a little more specific on the types of people you do want to work with. What are some self-reflection questions we should be asking ourselves, particularly at the start? Well, there's even great questions we could be asking prospects, Jason. So when we get in front of somebody or someone wants to meet with us or we decide we're going to catch up with somebody, I'm always very clear that if you, whether you inbounded me or I met you somewhere and you went, oh, Julia, what you do sounds interesting, but let's copy sometime. I would suggest every time before I meet with you, I would say, yep, happy to meet with you next Wednesday. Jason, let's have a catch up. Happy to talk about how I could help. 
in order so I can prepare for our time together, Jason, can I ask you a few questions that just give some context around where you're at in your business? Now, if you do that, 100% of people are going to go, okay, that seems reasonable. What would you like to know? Because in sales, what we're doing is we want to, if we do it right, it should seem logical. Everything that comes out of our mouth, people should go, that makes sense. Of course, of course, yes, you should ask me some questions before we meet. Yes, I'd like you to prepare for our conversation. What would you like to know, Julia? And so I'm asked things like, hey, tell me what's on your mind to catch up with me. How has it come about that you want to speak with me in particular? You know that I'm a sales and negotiation specialist, so tell me, what are you ultimately trying to solve for? Where does this sit on your list of priorities right now? Like, is this the single most important thing you've got on your plate right now, or is this a... It would be nice if we could solve it. Where are you on that kind of spectrum? Jason, money's important. I have to ask, what's your budget for this kind of work? What have you invested on this kind of work before? I ask questions for a living. I could spend hours talking about questions. I would be delighted to hear just all these questions. And I know people are going, like, oh, I need to go back and take notes of these. But to me, it's very clear that you have your experience. And I, I notice in your questions, you're gauging motivation, you're gauging capability. That's actually all I'm doing. All I'm doing, everything I ask, puts me in a position where I can plot you on my graph of motivation and capability. It's no good having someone that's highly motivated with no money. Similarly, often, it's no good working with someone who has lots of money but no motivation. Hmm. We need the perfect combination of someone in the top right of that graph that is equally motivated and capable. You touch on one thing I've noticed happening for people, particularly when they're new or they're not having the confidence that I see you have right now, which is they might have a particular skill set, a trade that they're doing, a technician type of work, and now they're on their own. They meet maybe someone that's within a proximity circle and they go, oh, could I do this? Like with an expectation that you'll do it for free for them. And in your case, you're reframing the conversation to make it about money. But some people get really uncomfortable at the early stages of that. So any prescription on that? Yeah. And this is an interesting thing. Again, timing thing and experience, you know, helps our confidence. If you're going to be in business, this might come across as sledgehammer, but it's necessary. You have to talk about money and you have to be comfortable talking about money with competence and confidence. Doesn't mean you're arrogant about it, but money is a necessary conversation because if you can't talk about it, you can't command it. It's, it's one of those things that people have to get over themselves or do affirmations or they need to do something, but it is necessary because if you can't do it at the upfront, you're going to have trouble asking people if they don't pay you. I've never had anyone not pay me and my payment terms are pretty demanding. People just do it. That's, that is my process. You have to be comfortable talking about money. Julia, we land on a very important topic, which is going to leave all of us listeners thinking about this and knowing that this is the work that we're going to do. But I love this conversation. Thank you so much for coming with me and sharing this message. Again, for me, the biggest takeaways here is when you're doing qualifications with people, you always want to measure this axis that Julia speaks about, which is how motivated is this person and how capable are they? And when you see that there's a match between both motivation and capability, you'll realize that these are people you could potentially work with. By doing so, you'll end up saving so much more of your time 
<laughs> avoiding any awkward conversations when you spend a lot of time and realizing that this is not a match. And although at the beginning, you do whatever it takes to earn the business, to get that experience under your belt, to drive a bit of revenue so that you can build your competence, your confidence, and eventually you will be at that market rate. But knowing that when you're doing a bit more of the qualification, you're not going to waste as much time and you're going to be more efficient and people are going to trust your capabilities more because they see that you're serious about what you do. Some of us are natural salespeople. We absolutely love it. Some of us are more of the technician type. Julie was talking about how we look at it from a necessary evil. It is not the case. It doesn't need to be that way. And we're all doing sales regardless of what we're doing. So if we can spend a bit more time doing this qualification process, applying some of the things we've learned with Julia today and getting over this fear of money, you'll see that you'll be much more effective at making more impact, keeping your integrity and selling with love in the process too. For those of you who are enjoying this conversation, we just touched the tip of the iceberg. I'm going to put a link over to resources from Julia so you can go deeper into her sales processes, her trainings, and a lot more of the amazing work that she does. Julia, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was an absolute pleasure having a conversation with you. Oh, Jason, pleasures are mine. Thank you for the opportunity. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast.